Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hatch Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. We do this every week. We thank our new listeners, and we completely forget about our old ones, which we shouldn't because... They've been they've been treating us well, man. Yeah, they, thank you so much for the people who have been stepping up on Ko-Fi and sending us tips and donations. That's uh, very cool of you, and we do appreciate it. It helps uh, keep the lights on in the server room here at at the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. And honestly, we need the lights on in that room. Sammy because... gets so terrified when he's in in a very dark, very small enclosed space. And there's server ghosts, I think, and they they spook me a bit. You've heard about server ghosts? Yeah, I it's mean, the I think... it's the backups that didn't get backed up. I think. <laughs> Exactly. Why us? Why us? <laughs> Why? So uh, this week, well, let's just uh, let me introduce my friend Ben. He's the other voice in this podcast. Ben, tell them where they can find your work. You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Car and Driver, at Driving Line, at an Inside Hook, and also uh, I have a comic book coming out. You might have remembered last year I had some Kickstarters going for Code Forty Five, which is my comic book slash graphic novel, and it is going into stores. In May, May 11th, actually, from Scout Comics. If you want to order it, now's the time to do it because shops can do that right up until early April. The order code is MAR221881, or you could just use the name Code45. Um, and yeah, it's 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 the first issue. It's going to be five issues total, and it'll be done by the fall. So we're fulfilling our last Kickstarter, and just after that, we're going to have it in stores, and it's a whole bunch of stuff happening at once. I really recommend um, our listeners pick that up. It's great art. It's a cool story. Um, and Ben is my friend, so I'm going to I'm gonna back him up no matter what. And you can find – if you want to find out more about the book before you check it out um, in person, you can go to code-45.com. There's a whole bunch of information there. Okay, Ben. Let's talk about cars. This is what we came wait, here wait, to Wait, wait, Sammy. Right? What? You didn't introduce yourself and tell us where oh, we right. can find your work. Well, hello there. My name is Sammy Hadjassad. You can find my work all over the internet, including such places as autotrader.ca and driving.ca, as well as TechSpot and Nouveau Magazine. Is that good enough, Ben? That's exactly what I expected. Okay, perfect. Uh, let's talk about cars. That's why we're here. That's what I said, and I, I'm sticking to it. Um, well, you've got a truck or something like a truck, right? Something like a truck, yes. I drove the 2022 Jeep Grand Cherokee. Sammy, I know that I've talked about the Grand Cherokee in the past, but it was a different vehicle. I I think it was late last year I drove the Grand Cherokee L, which is the three-row version of the redesigned SUV. But uh, for some reason, well, I mean, I get it. Jeep brought the L out before the standard Grand Cherokee, and I know it's because they hadn't had a three-row in forever since the Commander in, like, the early 2010s, which was a, a pretty terrible vehicle. And, and now, now they, they have two. Yeah, now they have two, or even three if you consider the Wagoneer and the Grand Wagoneer to be two That's different right. vehicles, which they probably aren't. But the Grand Cherokee is the one that really drives sales. This is a very important vehicle for Jeep. I drove a version called the Summit Reserve, which is the fanciest model out there and the mo- currently the most expensive, at least until the 4xe appears on the market, which will add a surcharge to your fanciness. But I was excited to drive this because I've always liked the Grand Cherokee. The, the last two generations of Grand Cherokee have been pretty good, particularly the last one. Um, it, for me, was probably the nicest domestic SUV you could get outside of the luxury segment. It was a truck that competed very hard against German brands without necessarily being positioned against them. So for a while, I think there was a good crossover between the ML, or I guess now it's the GLE, 
and mm. the X5 versus the Grand Cherokee. It was kind of a legitimate alternative. And then in maybe the last two or three years, the gap widened when the Germans were redesigned. The, the Jeep kind of stayed on its own thing. And I, I think like the interior suffered in the sense that it was still nice, but it had clearly fallen behind. So the, the redesign was really important for Jeep. And I think even more so because they're clearly pushing hard for luxury Sammy with the Wagoneers. And the Cherokee is a good lead in to the Wagoneers for them. Well, I, th- I still think it's worth having a position against a premium or luxury vehicle because if you compare it to other um, mid-sized crossovers like, say, the Kia Sorento or Hyundai Santa Fe or the Ford Edge, I always end up looking at the Grand Cherokee and being far more impressed, at least with those higher trim level models, because they, they really do impress. They feel um, pretty high-end inside. They've got a ton of different engine options, and it just feels really capable. Yeah, and I, I think that it's kind of a class apart in another sense, too, because the Grand Cherokee is kind of like the Porsche 911 of SUVs in that there's a lot of different versions. Like, you can get a $40,000 base Laredo rear-wheel drive, and you can go up to 70000 with options for the, the Summit Reserve that I drove. And in between, there's, like, the Trailhawk version, which has even more off-road gear. There's three different four-wheel drive systems, depending on whether you want actual low range, whether you're happy with just an automated system, uh, whether you need um, some kind of rock-crawling gear. Um, you can get a, a, a uh, adjustable ride height from the air suspension, although you can't get that right now. Um, the the yeah. model I drove had that, but when I tried to build one on the Jeep configurator, it is not available at all, which is strange because the Summit Reserve has it as standard equipment, and now when you go to try and buy one, it's all coil springs because of the chip shortage. It's really It had started hurting the L model last year, and now it's kind of trickled down to the Grand Cherokee, so that's a bit disappointing. But just to say that you know, there aren't really any other SUVs out there in North America with that kind of range, I don't think. Yeah. I think that's a great way to put it. But now I have a I have a really weird question to ask. Do you think a Grand Cherokee customer, somebody who says, I want a Grand Cherokee, will go to the build a, a, a vehicle segment of the Jeep website and pick and choose all these things? Ch- pick between the three different powertrains or four different powertrains. Pick between the um, well, three different all-wheel drive modes. There's currently only two powertrains, which is a little okay, unusual. For, but, but you're right. That's unusual for, for the Cherokee because it usually has four or five. Yeah. And do you think they'll really go through all of those those uh those that those that form of customization or do you think they'll just go to the jeep dealership and say look i want your fancy one or i want your not as fancy one or i want your base one and they just go here you go this is what we've got on the lot it's impossible to tell these days with how the market is because you know getting a vehicle at all is very difficult (laughs) yes uh but but you know what i mean like it it seems wild when you look at the of the just like you mentioned the range of Jeep Grand Cherokee, and if somebody's actually going, like an actual customer goes through that huge list and says, ah, yes, I will look through this spreadsheet and this flowchart of what features are available to me or what what isn't, when I think the real answer is that they'll just go and get whatever's available to them. But I think that Jeep does a pretty good job of making every one of these trim levels represent a certain, a certain um, what would you call it? I, don't, I lost my train like, of thought here. Like demographic? No, but they group the, the options and equipment together very well. So I, okay. I don't necessarily think anyone's the, – the majority of people are building a Jeep from scratch. Yeah. But I think they're able to like look at the difference between a Limited and a Summit and kind of get it. Okay. So tell me what motor you had in yours and uh, what, it, what it was capable of doing. So there's only two right now. I mean normally there's a turbo diesel. There's a crazy SRT version and there's an even crazier Trackhawk. I don't know if the Trackhawk's coming back. Do they I, just not have a nor- – they don't have a normal V8 anymore? Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting there, Sam. Oh, sorry. 
I don't think the Trackhawk is coming back. I think we'll probably see an SRT version, which means the 6.4 will probably be available. But my model had the 5.7 liter V8, which is the only upgrade from the V6. And there. this is a motor everyone's familiar with. The V6 is like 293 horsepower. The 5.7 liter V8 is 357. And these numbers are familiar to anyone who's looked at, you know, a Ram pickup or uh, a, a Dodge Charger. It's, it's the same motor, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, it comes with an 8-speed automatic, which is a good transmission. And it's the same, also important to note that these are the same engines you would get in a Grand Cherokee L. And the L is bigger, longer, and heavier. So I had felt that acceleration from the V8 and the L was, like, adequate. It's noticeably quicker in the standard Grand Cherokee, which happens to be, I think, 200 or 250 pounds lighter than the model it replaces. I don't know whether that's true of the Summit Reserve that I drove, because that thing is totally loaded. But uh, in general, that's kind of how the trims match up against each other. Um, acceleration is good. The fuel efficiency, not that great. I took uh-huh. it I took it on about a 200-mile road trip, and half of it was straight-up highway, and the other half was kind of... It was, it was basically highway, but like two-lane, mountainous, uh, twisty and turny. And I got 15 miles per gallon combined, which is Yikes. not... I mean, the EPA says 14 city and 22 highway, so... <laughs> wow. Okay, but this thing doesn't have, like, similar to the activation or anything like that? It does. It has that. It also has an aero mode from the air suspension that, like, kind of lowers it and gets you a little bit more of a, a, a better coefficient of drag, I guess. Okay. But the fact remains, it's a big V8 in a relatively heavy SUV. It's prob- my, Mine was probably around 5,000 pounds, you know, at least. Mm-hmm. So the, the other issue I had with it, aside from the fuel consumption, was in the L, I noticed a weird vibration in the drivetrain at low RPM. So if I was pulling away from a stoplight or um, just kind of cruising at really low speeds, it kind of shook through the steering wheel and the pedals. And I got the same thing in this vehicle. And that was really disappointing to me because it hadn't happened to me in Jeeps in the past. So I don't know what's up with that, whether it's a just a tuning issue on these brand new vehicles. But the fact that it's happened twice now on two different models leads me to believe it's not a not just a coincidence. Right. This is something based on the balance of the of the wheels or something beyond that. No, no, it's not balance of the wheels. It's drivetrain. It's definitely drivetrain. the engine that is that is there's something um off <clears throat> about how the engine is idling or running when it's say below twenty five hundred RPM. Now, my recollection is that you were you were pretty impressed with the old uh, not the old, the previous L that you drove. And I was wondering if, you know, generally your your feelings are the same. Is this a better fit for the for the Grand Cherokee name or do you think the L is more appropriate? No, I mean this handles way better. There's no yeah. question. Uh, it feels like the right size. I had no issues with it in Montreal, in traffic, parking, that kind of thing. A lot easier to deal with than the L. I've come kind of come to the realization that uh, like the Durango, which is a vehicle that is fine in every respect, but I, I just find it's a little bit too unwieldy. Okay. And seeing as this is a similar platform to what you get with the Grand Cherokee, although we don't have a new Durango yet, uh, I feel like the short wheelbase is the way to go. Um, mm-hmm. Although there is a little bit of extra wheelbase in this vehicle. It's two inches more wheelbase, and I think it's like 3.4 inches longer overall. So it's compared, really, compared it's, to what? Sorry. To the model it replaces. Yeah, okay. So it's very close. I mean, yep. they didn't. I mean, once they had the L in the equation, I don't think they felt the need to push the Grand Cherokee's proportions mm-hmm. out too much. But. What really impressed me the most about the entire vehicle, Sammy, is the interior. Mm -hmm. So the Summit Reserve is worth every penny, I think. Uh, How much does this thing cost? My model was about 75. Whoa. But it starts around 64. But you're saying the Summit Reserve is worth that 75. Yes. I think this is a legitimate, straight up, head-to-head contender with anything from Mercedes or BMW at that price point. 
It is very, very nice inside. I had beautiful diamond slitch leather. I had massaging, heated, cooled seats, heated steering wheel. I had really nice wood trim on the dashboard and the doors. Um, I had the 10.1 inch, uh, I think it's uh, the new version of Uconnect, which worked very well. There's another screen inside the dashboard if you're a passenger and you want to use that. Also 10.1 inches. It has a huge head-up display. It has a really cool gauge cluster that's a definite improvement over the, the previous generation. Just in terms of the information it's able to display, how it's organized, how easy it is to use. Pretty much, I, I think every car company should go to Stellantis and get an ergonomics lesson. Mm-hmm. on how to design a UI for a car, not just software, but also button placement and all that stuff, because Jeep does a fantastic job. So does Ram. Um, and in fact, I would say that this infotainment is even better than that giant 12-inch screen you get in the Ram 1500. I think it's the right size. It looks good. And it's not, you know, you don't have to stretch your hand to the top of a giant screen to get things to happen. So um, my vehicle also had stuff like night vision and all that jazz. It's, and a head-up it's, display. Yeah, I mentioned that. Uh, um, yeah. It's a, a 10-inch head-up display now. I, I don't know why head-up displays are getting so much bigger. Like, soon they're just going to cover the whole road, and you're going to have to kind of lean around it to see what's in front of you. <laughs> it's a little odd. <laughs> Isn't that the point of head-up display? To, 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 it's like augmented reality. It's going to be placed uh, on the whole. But you know what? I have enough trouble with standard reality. I don't need the nightmare <laughs> yes, of a digital augmented reality. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I would take this over a, 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 a GLE class. I'm pretty sure uh, an X5. It's a it's a bit more difficult to say because yeah. I think the X5, in its nicest form, is a heck of a lot more expensive. Yeah. So, uh, but in terms of off road, I mean, if you ever do any kind of off roading, the Jeep is going to leave its German friends in the dust. It's just a very very capable rig. I've done some crazy stuff in Grand Cherokees, like climbed rock faces I couldn't even walk up. So. Yeah. That kind of capability is not something you find in other luxurious SUVs. So it's interesting to see Jeep push even further into that segment without losing what has made the Grand Cherokee such a versatile option. I'm, uh, I'm, I, I have my doubts. I'll have to test it myself and see how, exactly how, um, how special this vehicle feels because those, those. Those models of uh, BMW X5 and Mercedes GLE, and even some things like the Genesis GV80, they feel good, man. I mean, so, the GV80, it feels good, but it's absolutely nothing like a Grand Cherokee, yeah. you know? Yeah. An it X5 has is closer. Different personality. Yeah. yeah, an X5 is closer, I think. But I mean, a GV80 is, it's not, you're never, you never take it off road. Ever, ever, ever. Which is fine. It's not what it's for. And you, no what's one's going to take co- the, What's the luxury company with the most off road credits? Land Rover Land or Range Rover? Rover yeah, right? definitely. Definitely. And you think this is cooler than those? I'm not necessarily saying that. I mean, <laughs> because what compares against the Grand Cherokee most directly, the Range Rover Sport? Velar, maybe. Uh, I don't think so. I think the Velar is smaller. Okay. So I don't think they have the same kind of direct comparison. The, the other things to consider about this, though, two other points I wanted to make. I'm glad I drove the L first because it was an overland trim, which is like three steps down from the top. Okay. And it is a huge gap. Um, the the overland is fine, but it's just fine. It's like what you would expect from a decent premium SUV. But the uh, Summit Reserve really pushes things past expectations. But the other point I wanted to make is there are people out there who want a very comfortable and capable SUV. Like this has great cargo. It can tow uh, even if you're not going off-road, which most people won't. But they want something that's not going to attract attention. And, and this pulls that off really and well. Versus an X5 or a Mercedes, it yeah. makes a very different statement. 
for some people, depending on what your profession is, you might not want to be showing up at a client's mm-hmm. house in a super luxurious automobile, but you want to have a similar experience. And I think that the Grand uh, Cherokee is kind of your pathway towards that. It's like a stealth, high luxury model. And that's a unique niche that I think is worth exploiting. Cool. I like that. I mean, it reminds me essentially like you don't want people second guessing what your payments are or anything like that. And, uh, you know, based on badge sort of cachet alone, people are going to be like, oh, he's just got a new car. And it's cool. Yeah, yeah and- exactly. It's nice enough to look respectable, but it's not it's not the same kind of badge recognition where people start to talk behind your back. <laughs> yeah, um, I have a are you are, anything else you want to talk about the with the Jeep Grand Cherokee? No, I think I think that wraps it up. OK. Um, we are going to be talking about it in the future, a couple of a couple of weeks from now. So I, I'm glad that we're not getting too in the weeds here. But um, I want to talk to you about a car that I drove recently. It's the Volvo, the Volvo C40 is what this is, and um, this is the brand's first completely exclusive all-wheel. Uh, sorry, uh, electric vehicle. Why am I saying all-wheel drive? Electric vehicle. Um, it's essentially a coupe-esque version of the XC40 Recharge. Except for the XC40, you can get with a gas motor as well. But the C40, all electric, um, and pretty much the same thing um, mechanically as an XC40 EV. Okay. Yeah. Okay. How do you feel about that? Isn't that important conversation to have? I think we that- should be talking about every possible configuration of EVs, right? I think that the C40 for me is weird because I don't understand who they're selling it to. Oh, totally. I mean, my my biggest issue right now is that Volvo is is loading up its entire uh, Volvo and its parent company Geely or Geely, however you want to pronounce it, just has all of these EVs that are using the same battery and motors and configuration and platform. So we've got the XC40, we've got the Polestar Two, which will come with a front wheel drive and all wheel drive con- variant, and then we've got the C40 as well, which is essentially the same as an XC40. Um, in terms of powertrain and battery, and um, it costs about fifty-eight grand and travels, I think, less than three hundred miles. It has four hundred horsepower. You know what I mean? Like, it seems like the same thing, and then the same thing again with the with the Polestar. Yeah, too. and it's odd because it's a, it's like a, a segment where there's even less interest. You know, it's like they came out with an SUV. It makes sense. People are buying SUVs now. They come out with a high riding hatchback i mean how would you describe the c40 it's the same thing man it is an xc40 without the boxiness the the one boxy corner um so it's like a less useful coupish version of the xc40 100 100 and i'm i'm anxious about this right like what does that mean business-wise to volvo to be spending so much energy developing the same car. What right? it could be, though, is that, you know, you walk you, you walk into a showroom, a Volvo showroom. Yeah. You want to see a bunch of different cars, even if you're not going to buy them. It makes Volvo look and feel like they're kind of players in the in the segment. So maybe they're just filling space. They just want – yeah, they just want items on the menu. Yeah, they're okay they're with the they're okay with not selling them because it probably doesn't cost anything to make it. Okay. So I drove it. I mean, honestly, I, I, I have some things, some, some – Positive thoughts about this, other than the overall confusion as to where it stands in the market. Um, but one thing I'm not too impressed about is the range. They estimate um, I'm looking at the the fuel the range here 226 miles on a full battery, um, which is well below that kind of like 
magical 300 mile range that a lot of new EVs are, are arriving with. So already this thing feels like it has a bit of a disadvantage. It is three miles more than a equivalent XC40 um, EV. So that might just be weight or aerodynamics or something. I think it's definitely weight. Um, and then the the performance, though, is really confidence-inspiring. It has, like, 400 horsepower. It has a ton of torque. It feels really good on the on the road, um, getting up to speed, cruising at speed. Um, I also love the, the basic sort of approach to driving this thing. There is no on-off button. You just get in, you push it into drive, and it starts it, – it, it's ready to go at that point. Now, my question, Sammy, mm-hmm. does it have a range display? So it – does but not in a very useful place so um as we mentioned before with the xc40 the digital gauge cluster has a battery percentage that's it just as how much percent of battery is there but if you go through the infotainment system which has been changed this year um i think we mentioned this volvo is switching to an android based um infotainment system which we have feelings about and i'll get into that in a moment one of the um the like home screen home screen widgets essentially is a is a mileage um, remaining um, calculator. So However, I don't have to say, hey Google, how much mileage do I have left? Right? Yeah, you don't have. That was to. that was the old way of doing it, which is the most yeah. obtuse thing I had experienced in an automobile in quite a long time. But like, even this isn't much better because if you are currently looking at your navigation screen on that central screen. Um, or your your audio screen, you have to press that home button to get back to see that widget, and you lose control of of your navigation. It's information that should be visible all the time. Yes, right, like a uh, glance down type of display. So they are still blowing it there, but and I will admit um, there is one drive mode of this vehicle. Um, it's one pedal drive, and that takes some getting used to. But it works. And I do like, like I said, I'm, I kind of like the simplicity. I like the idea of just getting into a car and driving it, never having to go, oh, I want sport mode here. I want the heavy steering. I want the light suspension. Like, I don't want to deal with any of that. I just so like basically you're, do- you're done with options and you just want life to wash over you in like one endless wave with no anecdotes to, to take with you to the afterlife? Oh, well, maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, but I think like some some vehicles having all of those features and those options is um, – it is an important aspect of them, and others like the Volvo C40. It doesn't seem like an important thing to have a sport mode. Like maybe um, it's more of an appliance. Yes. Okay. So, um, but there is a downside to driving this thing. Um, in addition to the low range, I'm really concerned about the braking performance of this. What do you now, mean you by wanna... con- what do you mean by concerned? It was never really confident feeling when it comes to bringing it to a stop, either in the one-pedal mode or even the, the two-pedal you know, driving mode. Um, you and I mentioned this with the XC40. It's an extremely heavy vehicle. This thing weighs 4,800 pounds, at, at least. That's more than my Jeep, my Grand Wagoneer. <laughs> yeah. My old, old technology steel frame Grand Wagoneer. Do you know what I mean? And I think you really feel that when it comes to bringing the, vehicles to a, bringing the vehicle to a stop. I'm just not impressed with that aspect of the vehicle, which is a shame because I, I think the exterior design is... is attractive and clean enough and the interior design volvo really knows how to make um a cabin feel special with the exception of like i said their their android automotive um os i'm worried about that thing i don't think people are going to love that as much as people think they're going to love that it is um google home for your car which doesn't seem like a useful thing for no it. ways no ways app let's talk no about way that. not yet no ways as far no as android auto 
uh, yeah, no Android Auto or Apple CarPlay. Um, and as far as I understand, you can tell it to do, you can say, "Hey Google, do this," um, and it'll do that. It'll do all sorts of things from from um, entering a, a an address in the navigation to changing your Spotify playlist to lowering a window or changing the climate control. Wait, 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 wait! Lowering a window? Yeah, you can tell it to lower a window if you want it to. How do you do that? Do you say like? Left hey, Google, rear window, lower, engage. Yeah. Like lower the left rear window. Well, window. Uh, so I don't need hands anymore to drive this vehicle. Can I also steer with with Google? No. Hey Google, hang a right. <laughs> hey Google, you're scaring me. You can't. You can't change the. Um, I mentioned you can change Spotify, but that seems to be it. You can't change like XM radio stations with it. It's really weird. <laughs> it has to be something. Strange, with the, right? But it's like it almost makes me think that there's something with the API where they're like, okay. We can provide voice control over every single aspect of the Google OS, but we can't interface the Google OS with existing APIs for other yeah. technologies in the vehicle. So, like, the XM is, like, in the hardware and it has its own – it's probably running in, like, its own sandbox. And you just access that sandbox and there's no interaction between that and Google. Which Yo, is- but Ford has been doing this for a while. You could always say to the my Ford Touch or whatever, switch to Sirius XM forty seven. That's true, but I mean, but Ford, what's the backbone of that system? Like it's it's it used to be QNX or it used to be Microsoft Sync first, right? Yeah. So like they're able to. I I just think that Volvo's relying on Google to manage the ecosystem whereas i think with ford and other car companies they had more of a hand in making sure that they controlled what that ecosystem looked like right so i mean i'm i'm wary of how important the c40 is because as i said the xc40 is probably a little bit more um attractive size wise um because this has an impact in in terms of cargo space um I also think the Polestar will be more attractive for a budget because you can get a front-wheel drive version of the car that will have more range and will cost less and uh, also has the appeal of being a whole new um, and different brand, which is kind of cool. Um, so the C40, I don't really know where it fits, um, and, it weigh, and it costs 58 grand, which is a lot of money. It doesn't have the fastest charge supports. It goes up to 150 kilowatt, which is not as fast as 350, which is what new cars are coming with. Um, and it doesn't have over 230 miles of range or even 250. So yeah, it really does seem like something they just put out because they wanted to put out something, and that you know it doesn't do any, it doesn't move the needle. Right now, I want to also transition to um, another vehicle I drove very briefly while I was uh, testing the C40, which is a new version of the XC60 called the T8 Recharge. Do you know what the T8 Recharge is? I'm assuming it's a plug-in hybrid. Am I right? Okay, it is now. If you'll recall, they recently renamed the trim levels for their um, non-plug-in versions to B something, B5 or B6. Okay. And now the T8 is here for the plug-in um, hybrid versions. They've actually updated these vehicles and provided like twice as much battery um, electric range. So what used to be 19 miles is now 36 miles, which is pretty good. That is pretty good. Um, and it has um, lots of power and torque. But um, I think right now for this model year, they're like caught in between this transition. So you can get an old T8 recharge with the 19 miles of range and you can get a new one, which is called the recharge with the extension with the extended range uh, with the 36 miles of range. So Volvo's all over the place right now. Definitely. I will I'm add, confused just listening to this. What's weird is um, the new powertrain, this new T8 extended range um, recharge powertrain 
will not use the twin-charged engine. It's just a turbocharged four-cylinder engine now. So remember for a while, they were really boasting and, and kind of bo- pounding their chest about this, this twin-charged engine, which was kind of unique and innovative. And now it seems like they're slowly moving away from that. And uh, I will say that all vehicles that come with a T8 powertrain, which means the I think the S90 and V90, and I think even the S6 and uh, S60 and V60 Polestar engineered models, will come with the same enhancement. Uh, so all of these vehicles that had the same powertrain are going to get the update. Did you get a sense whether the chip shortage is going to impact this? Like it's impacted pretty much everything else. I'm sure it will. I don't think you can you can avoid that, right? It's inevitable. Yeah, it certainly so, feels inevitable. Uh, I imagine that's probably why they're offering both versions um, right now, the kind of like um, last-gen battery version and the new-gen battery version. So that's probably why it's happening because they just – it's probably really difficult to pull this off. But then again, well, I I don't even know what the prices are right now. But it would be so funny if you're like, I ordered a T8 recharge and you got the bad one and your (laughs) paper got the new one. Um, But I I also want to talk a little bit about these names, right? T8 Recharge, um, I think the XC40 for a while had the name um, P8 and for the for the electric version. And then we have the T5s and T4s or whatever have or so T6s like, have become B5s and B6s. Like alphanumeric like, alphabet soup. Nonsense. You'll never remember this. I don't know if that makes any like sense anymore. Now they're just calling the XC, the chart, sorry, just the C40. They're calling the C40 Recharge Twin. Just Twin. So how does this compare to some of the other, like, terrible names that we've had over the years? And I'm not talking about vehicle names so much as I am uh, trim levels and packages and, like, stuff that clearly, you know, when you when there's a vehicle name, I think they put a lot of thought into it most of the time. But I think sometimes for trim packages and, and options packages, marketing kind of just takes over. And they're like, yeah. no, you got to trust us. It's not, it's not forever. So we can, you know, tr- take a risk. And you end up with stuff that's just kind of bizarre. Well, first of all, you get, like, these weird ones that are about, like, collaborations or marketing, like you mentioned. Um, like, the Fiat 500, they had a pair of fashion-oriented models, the Gucci and the GQ. Yes. Which is, I mean, when I think about Gucci, I don't think about a, <laughs> like, a low-rent hatch, like, compact hatchback, right? I mean, not usually. <laughs> not usually. Um, and then I think Nissan had a really big deal with the Rogue, and they made a Rogue One Star Wars edition when the when the movie came out, and that was it, really. That that was the only like collaboration with Star Wars that Nissan had. Was but it? like, what about what about names of vehicles that aren't related to something from the outside? Where like inside the company, they were just like you know, like Infinity, for example. Yeah, they have names like the, the trim levels straight up are like pure luxe essential, and then sensory, which yeah, they, is uncomfortable. Like, why not just call it the moist? Like, to uh, me, I, <laughs> it's that it's that level of, like, I don't want to hear that word when I'm talking about a car. There's also autograph, which is common. You have the autograph. There's autobiography, which is, an like, are you writing your own story vis-a-vis your driving choices? That's, that's always seemed like a strange thing. The inscription is another one on it. It's like, a, it's like the path from autograph to autobiography to inscription, I think, is, like... The, the, you know, six degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon or whatever you want to call it yeah. of the automotive naming world. What bugs me about, I think, Infinity's naming scheme, which is pure lux, sensory, and I can't remember what that other one is. Es- essential or something? What's yeah, it essential. Essential. Is it? Yeah. Is that there's no indication of what, like, 
where that is is that the fully loaded model or is that the uh, like the basic model to me essential sounds like the basic model but then what is pure well obviously you want all of them like together (laughs) like that's the only thing that makes sense if a salesperson's like oh yeah i can get you in an essential one of these and if i didn't have the brochure or like a spreadsheet of what the trims what the, the the features are i'd be like oh okay cool I mean, come on, Sammy. Everyone shops with a spreadsheet. (laughs) (laughs) And same thing with that signature, inscription, autobiography, calligraphy. They all sound the same. Like, they all sound exactly the same. Um, And that's super confusing, right? I agree. But nothing is more confusing than not using... An, an actual name or even letters for a trim level. Do you know where I'm going with this? Yeah, I remember. So Kia had the Soul, which is a unique vehicle, but they, that wasn't enough for them. They felt that it also had to be unique in terms of every aspect of it. So I think there was a trim level called the Plus, and it was when I say Plus, it was the symbol, the Plus symbol, and there was another one that was the exclamation mark. Is that possible? Yeah. So I always wonder if that's like, what do you call that? Right? Oh, I got the. Is it called the plus trim, plus model, plus package? It's just soul plus, right? And soul exclaim exclaim or exclamation mark or whatever. And I also understand this makes searching for these trim levels not possible. Like it just Yeah, if you're on the internet and you type soul plus, you're not gonna find what you want to find. (laughs) That's ridiculous. It is totally ridiculous. Um I also I always feel weird about um they had all sorts of weird ones in the past, right? Like, yeah, well, there was uh, the Ford Ranger Splash, which was uh, – when I was a kid, splash. I didn't get it. Like, does that mean it's making a splash? Does that mean you're going to splash some puddles? I mean, it, it was just odd. Like, what does, it, what does it have that mean? a snorkel? It came with like a – No, came... it came with like stickers, basically. That's it. There was a guy in my hometown who had um, a purple splash, and it was lowered, and he had neon purple lights underneath. So this is – you can tell how old yeah. I am now. And he thought it was the cat's pajamas. And and we used to make so much fun of him uh, behind his back. No, no, but like in, in, to his face too because like I was a confrontational teenager. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was – he had neon riders like on a big sticker on the back window. And that, looking back now, I realized he was just trying to connect with the compact truck – uh, collective consciousness experience that wasn't really happening in our hometown, which is <laughs> yeah. uh, quite a small town. So I feel bad to have done that. But at the time, it was just like, dude, what are you doing? You know? I feel like Dodge has some weird ones. They used to have a dart, which was called the Swinger. Yeah, but the Swinger in the 70s, it was like you were like a swinging kind of kind of guy or lady. It meant like you were you were hip. It was like that. How, how do they say it? What's that? That that comedian that you like so much, Sammy? What's his name? Mike Myers. He had uh, he had the Austin Powers that was a swinging yeah. swinging uh, L- London swingers right It's the same kind of deal it's not just it's not just your best friend's spouse I guess is what I'm <laughs> what I'm but trying I mean, to say even then like if it's describing a cool person or whatever you want to say a hip person there is no model nowadays trim level that is like that right there is no like like the boy. Dodge Challenger hipster <laughs> yeah there isn't right there, there just really isn't however they do have this weird new name for the uh the hellcat um like the top trim hellcat right now is called the jailbreak well that's so you don't have to drive it on a verizon roadway you can drive it on an at&t roadway if you want to what oh i see like a like an iphone there you that go. was one you, hell of a that was a joke Holy you connected cat. the dots <laughs> So you think they're 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 reaching out to it to a more tech friendly demographic by calling it the jailbreak? No, not I think they're a, actually reaching out to 
They're reaching out to ACDC fans, I think. I see. Um, and then, of course, there's the... There's, like, ones that just they shouldn't... They really should have thought twice about this. There was a special edition version of the BMW um, 7 Series. Have you heard about this one? <laughs> I think it's so. Called... Was it the individual models where they had They the... were a bunch of individual models. So here's the name. It's the M760 X-Drive Model V12 Excellence, the next 100 years, in all caps. So you have to scream... If you're the salesperson and you're trying to sell this, when you get to the next 100 years, you have to scream that in the face of the customer, right? That's, That's why it's right. all in caps? Yeah, and that's why they buy it. Yeah, <laughs> I love. I mean, I don't know. There's always so so many weird names. We've, now we've got again the the just alphanumeric, you know. Yeah, but stuff. you know, Lincoln had has a few modern ones that are a little weird. Like there's the black label, which is uncomfortable. Again, it's like, what does that mean exactly? Are, are you referring to the whiskey? Are you trying to say that there's something? strange about the like black label is this like this is the version of the lincoln navigator we're not supposed to sell you but i will <laughs> but i will I need, sell you to i you. need to hit my target so i'll sell it so to i'll you. say yeah this 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 version of the navigator has killed and will kill again but we, we're letting it out uh they also have a model called the indulgence i think too if i remember correctly they like they sell a they used to sell like an mkz version of the indulgence like if, an indulgence version of the mkz if i buy an mkz indulgence and there's not a chocolate fountain in the back seat i am going to be cross absolutely um but you know what it, it also like even automakers i don't know where to, i think they they like they put themselves in a corner sometimes like i read a news report recently from nissan that says they're planning to get a new a new SUV, because, of course, every automaker wants a new SUV these days. And it's going to slot between the QX50 and the QX60. So it's Infinity. It's Infinity, yep. And 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 what's it going to be called? Wait, isn't there already one? Isn't there already a QX55? Yeah, so numerically, so QX50, they can't call it a car. They can't call it between some the QX50 and QX60, because they already have a car. So is it going to be the QX57? <laughs> that's my guess because that's the only number that's left that's appealing you could call it the 53 but i don't think anyone wants that 57 you're gonna, is... laugh, you're gonna laugh at me about this i think they're gonna call it the qx70 so okay so what they're really saying is we give up <laughs> yes. we don't well, they we... did this they did this back when they turned they turned to the qx names if you remember they used to have um a bunch of different model lines they had the um e- 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 ex was their their entry level um, JX was their three row, FX was their mid range, and QX was their full size. And then those all got renamed to a bunch of numbers, QX something, and the QX70 was the mid range version. And that was super confusing. And it obviously didn't make any sense because now you don't see any more QX70s. And I think they're going to try to bring it back unless they do, like you said, and call it a QX57. I, I'm, I'm at nonsense. a loss. I don't even know. That is truly, truly nonsense. Um, and then, yes. No, go on. I want to hear more nonsense. You want to hear more nonsense? I recently, I also, I love reading the news. You know that I love reading automotive news because sometimes he calls me up in the night and I'm like, Sammy, it's two in the morning. He's like, like, I've been reading the news. Yeah. Couldn't wait until 5 a.m., which is when you don't get up either. (laughs) Um, there's a report from Electrify America, uh, which is Volkswagen's, um, EV subsidiary. Essentially, they, they're planning to make a bunch of charging stations all over North America, um, they're making new charging st- stations, which are described as human-centered. Wait, wait, wait. What is 
humans so what were the old charging stations were they like a I, were they like kind of a challenging obstacle course between you and the charging <laughs> plug you had to like go over i guess a crocodile infested moat or maybe dive through fire and then bam you're there but now human centers is like okay yeah. there, there's a door there's a roof you probably won't die. I'm assuming there's not going to be a captcha anymore, for the so that or there will be a captcha so that the robots don't uh, start charging. Yeah, I don't want robots using human electricity. I mean, absolutely slippery slope. And um, I mean, I think in general they're trying to make EV stations. As far as I can tell, it looks like a gas station but with EV chargers. Oh, like, and I'm always <laughs> when I look at a gas station, I'm like, this is a human-centered building. 100%. Am I wrong? Do you not look at this photograph and you're like, that just looks like a gas station, but instead of, you know, SO, it says Electrify America. I look at that photograph and I think, this is just taking minutes out of my road trip. How soon can I get in and out? So I think that's what the current, like, charge in public chargers are like, right? They're just these, like, weird obelisks in, in a parking lot that you pull up slowly towards and plug your phone into and hope it works. Uh, plug your car into and hope it works. But and with, now, yeah, and then you just sit there in your car, like trying not to freeze, hoping it charges quickly. <laughs> but when they say human centered, it makes me think I can go in and get like a massage or like a pedicure or maybe learn a new language. You know, like something. Something. I, I come out and I'm improved somehow. It's probably going to be a, a store. Like, I'm it's a better be a mall for sure. There's going to be a Target or a Walmart in there. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, you um, know, uh, speaking of more ridiculousness, uh, Sammy. Um, if people want to hear older episodes of Unnamed Automotive Podcast and kind of take a deep dive into ridiculousness, how could they do that? Oh, it's really easy. You just head on over to our website, Unnamed Automotive Podcast. Would you say that's a human-centered website? I would say it is. I mean, it's, it's more human than robot. I it's think. robot antagonistic, it's, if anything. I think the robots are managing pretty well on our website. Unfortunately, they're so adaptable. You had to. They are. They, they're I think they're learning. And they're fast. They're machine learning. They're really fast. <laughs> so you head on over to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, and you'll see a list of all of our previous episodes. You'll even see this current episode that you're listening to. Don't click on that because you're, you've clearly listened to it already. Um, you can find a way to subscribe to our podcast using a bunch of buttons at the top of the of the website. That's a good idea so that you hear the next episode as soon as it's available. Um, and there's also a contact button. You click on that. And um, you type in how, whatever you want to c- communicate to us, and it lands in our inbox. It's, it's, it really is a good form of communication, I would say. And but if, if you, that's not good enough, Ben has some alternatives. Yeah, you can find us on social media. You can find me on Instagram. I'm at Hunting Benjamin. You can find Sammy on the cesspool at his Twitter. He is at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. You can also reach out the old-fashioned way, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com, if you prefer email. And I know a lot of people do, so... That's right. Um, Ben, what are we talking about next week, man? I'm going to be talking about the Toyota Corolla Cross. And uh, this is this. So when I told Sammy I wanted to drive the Corolla Cross because I felt I I needed to, I felt I needed to kind of see what that was all about, even though he had driven it. He decided to book a the the, the sibling of this vehicle so that we could do a live comparison one on one. Sammy, what's the what's the Corolla Cross by another name? Well, I don't know about by another name. It's just another subcompact crossover from Toyota. It's the CHR. Which again, it just show, it, like I think next week's episode is going to be about the bizarre mindset at Toyota when they make when they make their cars. Because. Yeah, I think so. So tune in for bizarre mindsets, and uh, if you uh, want to support us on Ko-Fi, how can they do that, Sammy? Yeah, ko-fi.com slash unnamed automotive podcast. All right, it's ko-fi.com, and uh, thank you everyone for listening, and for um, for the Ko-Fi contributors out there, thank you so much again. <laughs>